0: they follow our children's workers team to the fellowship hall if that's you you have a young person with you in grades one through six you are uh, welcome to go with them and to see what it is that goes on inside of our junior church program which of these soils will show the first picture which of these soils do you think is good for planting seeds what something that will receive the seed, that will supply the nutrients, that will grow fruit that you'd want to eat, that you'd actually be willing to serve to your family. And if you think that first picture is any good, no. What about the second picture? Ah, uh, I'm not feeling it. It looks good in the distance, but up front, I don't think I want that soil. What about the third one? That's got to be better. Oh, no. No, I think that's the biohazard symbol, isn't it? I don't think I want to eat anything that was grown there. But what about the fourth one? What about the fourth one? That's starting to look a little bit better. I'm not a gardener, perhaps. I I do have some bushes and trees in my yard that have fruit on them. And I do my best, but I I wouldn't pretend to know. But that, that looks pretty good to me. So even if we had the best seed, do you think it would grow in those first three pictures? No. Even if you had the best of seed, it wouldn't grow... But in the fourth picture, it could. Why is it that sometimes God's word speaks to us and other times it doesn't? Why is it that sometimes God's word speaks to us and sometimes it doesn't? Maybe you can think of a time when you were in church or you were in Sunday school or you were personally reading your Bible and studying it. And it seemed alive. It was answering your questions. It was meeting your needs. It was encouraging you. It was perhaps making you feel a little bit bad and convicting you, but it was also encouraging you to get right in that area. And you walked out of that time alone with the Lord or walked out of that Sunday school class or out of that church service. And you thought, man, that was excellent. And then the other time, perhaps many other times, we come, we hear it. Maybe it's a Sunday school class or church, maybe it's our own personal time, we open the Bible, and we read it, and we don't even remember what we've read. We've got to go back and start over again. You know that there was a sermon, but you were looking at the the ceiling, checking for water spots. You were were looking in the Sunday school class at the uh, the light bulb that was out, right? You kept staring at the preacher and wondering, does he know that his tie is flipped the wrong way and that his hair's messed up? And you have no idea what happened, and you didn't get anything out of it. You think, perhaps, I've heard this before, this topic again. Maybe, and sometimes it is, the preacher's fault. Maybe he's not prayed up. Maybe he hasn't prepared. Maybe there's something wrong in his life. But let's ask the question, what responsibility do the hearers have in making sure that they get something out of the time that they're in church or in Sunday school? Or when it comes time to just you and your Bible, and I hope you spend time just you and your Bible reading it, if you don't do that, I want you to know that you'll find up front on the Lord's Supper table and in some of the pamphlet holders on the hallways that you'll use when you exit today, there are Bible reading and prayer journals in there with a Bible reading plan on how you can read through the Bible in a year, and also how you can organize your prayer life. I want to challenge you to do that. But when it's just you and your Bible and your reading, it's hard to blame the preacher, at that moment if you get nothing out of it and we ask ourselves what's going on and what can we do in order to prevent that can we prepare somehow to be good hearers so that we get exactly what god wants us to have did, did you think about it this morning that god wants something for you from this message today did that did that cross your mind that the lord god himself the creator of the universe who made all things who knows you wants you to get something out of this this morning Same thing with your Sunday school class. Anytime the word of God is opened, it goes forth to accomplish something. Well, Jesus Christ taught on this very topic of what it means to hear or not hear to receive God's word properly. So let's visit it together in Matthew chapter 13. Because I can tell you as you're turning there, I have sat through some church services that were just boring and I got nothing out of them. And yet other people walked out saying, wasn't that great? And I thought to myself, wait a minute. Were we listening to the same thing? Yes, we were listening to the same message, but the hearers were different in their hearts. The hearers were different in their hearts. In Matthew chapter 13, in verse number one, the word of God says this. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him so that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls uh, came and devoured them up. And some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray together. Father, would you open your word to us this morning? Would you give us those ears to hear? May you help us to be good soil that we might receive your word. Meet with us now as you promised in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, God's son, God became a man without ceasing to be God. And he was revealing God the father by teaching and preaching, performing miracles. He was traveling from city to city and he would sometimes show up in their synagogues or in people's homes. And he would teach or just out in the countryside. And here he's just finishing up teaching inside of someone's home. And after perhaps it said the same day in our beginning verse, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the seaside. He was perhaps trying to get some fresh air because it seemed wherever Jesus went, crowds turned up, especially by this point in his ministry. Everyone has heard of the prophet of Galilee. Everyone's heard of Jesus of Nazareth, and they've come to hear what this man had to say. They didn't all understand who he was. They didn't all agree with what he had to say, but they all wanted to see some miracle or maybe hear something from God or be able to talk with their friends when they got home saying, I saw that prophet. And so they would gather together And Jesus, though he was God, he was also a man and he was trying to get some time to himself. And so he went out by the seaside, perhaps to catch his breath, perhaps to get away from everybody inside of the house where he was teaching. And wouldn't you know what happened? A bunch of people showed up. Verse number two, in great multitudes were gathered unto him. There were so many people that showed up when he was just sitting by the seaside. You don't see him, by the way, knocking on doors and handing out flyers or pamphlets here. He wasn't trying to organize some sort of large meeting. It just happened because the people were hungry for the word of God. And so they went wherever Jesus was. And so they went out there and so many people showed up and they all wanted to hear what he had to say, that Jesus actually had to get in a boat ...that was docked by shore and just a little bit out into the water... ...used that as a barrier from all the people so that he could speak and be heard. And it says that he sat on the boat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore and they were listening. And in verse number three, he says he spake many things unto them in parables. A parable is a teaching story and Jesus loved to use these. It was a story where he would take an earthly truth that everybody would understand... Maybe he's talking about salt or light, maybe here talking about seed and a sower or talking about trees and fruit. It was things that the people in this day and age all saw every day and they all understood. And he was taking earthly things that they understood and teaching them heavenly things that were new to them. There was also an element in these parables that if they weren't paying close attention, if they weren't asking for understanding from the father, chances are they may have missed what Jesus was talking about. But in this parable, in this teaching story, he said, behold, a sower went forth to sow. Now, this is not a sower, as you might expect somebody with a needle and thread. This is the person with the sack of seed reaching in and spreading the seed as he would walk about. And this is oftentimes how they would grow things in the Bible lands because the ground was so varied and it was so hard in order to prepare things because of how stony it was. You just kind of threw the seed out and you were really hoping for the best. And you'd come along later and you would till the ground over and you would cover it so that it would hopefully grow something. So the sower went out to sow seed and he would just scatter the seed as he went. Verse number four says, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside and the fowls came and devoured them up. It it continues on talking about the different places where the seed fell. We find four different types of ground where the seed fell. We find, as we see here, by the wayside. That's the packed down earth that people are always walking on. You've noticed uh, how trails form, perhaps out in the metro parks or if you go hiking in places. Where people keep walking, the ground keeps getting packed down more and more. It becomes harder and harder. And for those of you that know... When you're gardening, you can't just throw seed on hard-packed earth and expect it to grow, can you? That's just very, very unlikely. It also talked about another type of ground that was, that was shallow. It was stony ground, right? There's lots of rocks in the Bible lands. They had to go to a lot of trouble to get all the rocks out of the field if they were going to farm it. But then there was bedrock underneath the ground, and it wasn't that far underneath the ground right? You have to dig in this area a pretty good ways before you're going to start hitting large amounts of bedrock, but not in the Bible lands. And so seed fell there where there was only a little bit of dirt where it could grow. And then you've got the place where there was already seed in that ground, but it was not the good kind of seed. It was the bad. You know what I'm talking about. It's thistles. It's briars. It's the kind of thing that chokes out the good stuff that you would want to grow there. And then it talks about the good ground where fruit was actually performed. And this is really the parable that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the seed, which is the word of God. That's what the seed represents in this story. If you look at Luke chapter 8, where Luke has this account of the parable of the sower. Jesus tells his disciples the definitions of all of these things. As they asked him when they gathered together later. Because even Jesus' closest followers at this point had questions. By the way, it's not bad to have questions. You need to get your questions answered. You really do. I know some people think that they're bad Christians if they ask questions. Especially the questions that they think are hard. But if you and I don't get the answers to the questions that we need, we will be plagued with doubt. And young people... If you don't get the questions answered that are in your own heart and mind that are leaving doors of doubt open, I promise you that something will come along and it will knock you flat and you'll lose your faith because this world is no friend to the children of God. It says in Luke chapter eight and verse number 11, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. So no longer are we just talking about a sower, but the sower spreading the seed is like a preacher spreading the word. And it's Jesus is using, as you can imagine himself as an example of a preacher and he is casting it out and the word is going forth, but it falls in different places. Well, the word doesn't fall in different places. It falls on different people and different types of people are like these different types of soil because of what it is that is going on in their heart. And as we continue in this sermon series on the heart, as we focus in 2023 about the inner life and the heart of the matter, this parable is absolutely foundational. Because the people and their hearts are going to determine whether or not there's any fruit that grows, which is where we see God changing somebody's life and giving them that which they need. So in verse number four, back in our passage of Matthew 13, it says, and he sowed when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside and the fowls came and devoured them up. This first type of ground is given to us as though a packed-down pathway. It fell right next to it. This is, this is hard, compacted earth. In verse number 19, it says, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. In other words, the seed came, it fell, it hit a heart that was so hard that it could not penetrate. It could not make its way in. It could not make its way in. And before there's a chance for the ground to soften, before there's any chance for the the sower to come back over and cover it, the enemy comes, the wicked one, the devil, Satan comes and steals that away. You say, how does he steal it away? He immediately bombards you with problems, with thoughts, with cares, With anxiety, with all the things that happen, because you'll walk out of church today and you'll remember all of the things that you need to do before tomorrow. And your kids, if you brought them with you today, they're probably hungry and they want you to feed them. And if it's not your kids, then your husband's hungry or your wife's hungry or maybe just you're hungry. And then you've got laundry to do to get ready for tomorrow, and then it's going to be a busy week, and maybe you've got a meal prep. Anybody meal prep? Right? Anybody meal prep? Boy, I wish I did. It sounds really good until I do it. The enemy steals the word away so that it has no chance to get in because the heart is hardened. Is there any fruit in that ground, that hard, packed-down earth? There's, there's no fruit there. There's no fruit in that type of person's heart. Verse number five says, some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. Again, the seed fell and it went down into the earth and it didn't have time to go deep. So it came right up. And you might say, look how fast that plant sprung up. This is great news. This is great news. We can expect a lot from it. Unfortunately, verse number six says, and when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Sun can damage plants. The plants need the sun, but if they get too much sun or too hot of the sun or sun at the wrong time of day, it will actually wither them. One of the ways that they can withstand that is if they have a deep root, they can pull the moisture up out of the ground in order to keep them from drying up. That's what it means to wither up. But if there is no root, you know what happens? They can't stand the heat, and so they wither up. Jesus translates this for us in verse number 20. But he that receiveth received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. So what happens is somebody hears the word, and they're excited about what they've heard, and it says anon, or immediately, or straightway, they, they receive it, and it looks like, hey, this is great, I love this. Yet, verse 21, hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. He says there's no real root there, and he can only endure, he can only last for a short time. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. What ends up happening is it sounds good when there's no problems, but as soon as the problems hit, we find out that this seed never really took root and it never ended up bearing fruit because the oppression, the persecution, you say, what kind of persecution? Well, when you have to make a decision about standing on the principles of the word of God versus what's easy and expedient, that is a tough place to be. You're at work. Somebody wants you to do something that's dishonest, good for the company. Maybe it's bad for the customer, but you know that God would be displeased if you did it. Because they're asking you to lie, they're asking you to cut corners, they're asking you to deceive the customer, they're asking you to to do less than honorable work. And you're put in a place where if I say no, I could get in trouble. But if I say yes, I'm going to dishonor my God. And they're put in that place, and because they have no deep commitment to Christ, they cave. And there is no change in their life. Or, young people... You're at school, you're with your friends, you're out somewhere over the weekend, and they decide, we're going to go do this thing. We're going to go here, drink this, smoke that, take this, party this way, be with these people. We're going to do this thing, watch this, listen to this, and you know in your heart that if Jesus was there, you'd be ashamed to be involved in that. But because your friends are saying, come on, let's go, this is going to be great, we're going to have fun. You'll be one of us. And you're pressed between your reputation with those people, your reputation at school, your reputation with your peer group, and pleasing your God. And if you don't have deep commitment to Christ in that moment, it'll be easy to collapse. And the word of God will never change you because we're not good soil in those moments. By the way, young people, I have terrible news for you. Peer pressure and the desire to have a good reputation among your peers doesn't end when you leave school. There's lots of us adults that cave because we desire the approval of men more than the approval of God because it's easier in the moment. It's easier in the moment. So you can't just wait and hope that you get older and that the problem goes away. You see, that's what it was like. Now, in Jesus's day, when he was telling them they were going to face persecution like you and I have not seen in this country, they were going to face perhaps getting disowned by their family, maybe losing their livelihood, maybe not being able to worship, in the synagogues or the temple anymore, maybe getting uh, called certain names. That's, that's what happened to the people that believed on Christ once there was the great division between those that believed on him and those that didn't. They might actually lose something. In some places around the world today, uh, especially in countries uh, in the Middle East, if you become a Christian, you can end up losing your family. You can end up becoming jailed. You can end up losing your life. North Korea, other places like that, where there is a great price to pay. And somebody says, I love the idea that God sent his son, because he loved me so much, he sent his son to die in my place, to pay for my sins, so that I can become his child, I can go to heaven, I can have eternal life. This is fantastic. And then all of a sudden, you find out that you're on enemy territory. Now that you belong to heaven, you're no longer a citizen of this earth, alone you're a citizen of heaven and you get put in a hard situation and if there's no deep root in that moment we collapse and the word of God does not complete its work in us verse number seven talks about another type of soil and some fell among thorns and the thorns sprung up and choked them what is that about well we know that if the seed got choked out by the thorns, it didn't grow. It didn't grow properly. Have you, have you ever tried to uh, plant something and there just wasn't, the other plants around it were just too big and it died off or they grew too quickly? You can see why in large forests that have very developed canopies, you don't really find a lot of brush in the center of the forest, do you? Where do you find it? Well, you find it on the edge. Why? Why? Because those trees have overshadowed everything and the the leaves, the foliage is so thick that there's no sunlight to come down and these smaller plants that try and grow there, they're just overshadowed. Nothing ever comes of it. Only on the edges where the sunlight gets through is there enough for these other plants to even make an attempt to grow. And so this is the seed that gets overshadowed, that gets choked out by something that becomes larger and takes what it should be receiving and uses it elsewhere. Jesus says in verse 22, he also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. So here is ground that received the seed and it starts to try and grow, but there's the cares of this world, the anxiety, the worry of this world, the type of thing that keeps us focused on only the here and now. It's the bills that I have to pay and the health problems that I have and the relationship conflicts that are everywhere and all the things that might go wrong in the future, which means that I have to plan now and scheme now. And, and I don't have time to take care of my soul. And I don't have time to be in church. And I don't have time to pray and to read my Bible. I need to take care of the immediate because the immediate is so loud. And there's so many things that could go wrong that that person, though they receive the seed, it never grows. They become unfruitful because they're choked out by the anxiety of this life, because their eyes are so down at the problems that surround them that they they never take time to look up. Or it's the deceitfulness of riches. Notice it's not just riches, it's the deceitfulness of riches. Now, is money evil? No, it's not. Loving money is evil. Making money into a God is evil. Jesus talked about that. But money itself is not evil. But one thing about money that is true is its deceitfulness. Especially the deceitfulness of a lot of money. You know what? That money looks like it's going to solve all my problems. That money looks like it's going to satisfy everything that's lacking in my life. That money looks like I won't have the cares and anxiety of this world if I just had a little bit more of it. How much is enough? At least a little bit more. And it looks as though it can give you life and protection and comfort and help. And before you know it, it's deceived you into making you into its servant. Money can be a good servant, but it makes a poor master. And when it becomes your master, all we think about is getting more, more stuff. Another reason why it's deceitful is because it doesn't last, does it? How much do you get to take with you? There's all sorts of rules about how much you can invest in your Roth IRA in a given year. There's all sorts of rules about how much you can get matched by your company into your 401k and take it with you. And how much of your pension goes with you and your salary when you retire in your best three years average. There's all sorts of rules about how much you can take with you, but there are no rules about how much you can take with you when you die. And friend... You and I only have a certain number of days on this earth. One day, hopefully far from now, where everyone says those were the oldest people that ever lived, right? The healthiest and oldest people. We all hope they say that. But even if they do, if the Lord Jesus tarries his coming in our lifetime, we will all, one by one, hopefully in a comfy place surrounded by all of our family, slip into eternity. And none... Of the treasures, none of the riches of this world will go with us. They would bury the kings of Egypt and ancient pagan civilizations alongside it with all of their wealth so that they could use it in the afterlife. They also buried their pets with them and their servants, even if the pets and servants hadn't died yet. Because they would need them in the next life. That's the reward you get for being good at your job. You get buried with the king. How how many how many of those uh, treasures did they take with them? None. None. You know why? Because those tombs were raided, whether by grave robbers or archaeologists. We found all of it, and they didn't get to take any of it with them. And so it's so easy when our heart is there on the riches to never be able to receive anything from the Lord. Good news is that some seed fell on good ground and it grew. And it didn't just grow, it says in verse number eight, but other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit. Some a hundredfold, some 60 fold, some 30 fold. In other words, there was good ground that received the seed and the seed found everything that it needed there. All of the nutrients that it needed, the water, the sunshine, and it grew and it bore fruit. Remember this parable is not just about the seed growing, but about the fruit that came out of it. And the fruit is where God's word was actually effective, where God's word made a difference. Whether the fruit was in the life of somebody who did not know Christ, who did not believe in him, but they heard him speak and they saw his miracles and they said, that must be the Messiah. That must be the son of God. I believe in him or for those people that perhaps believed, but yet they had growing to do in their own faith and their own understanding. And the word drew them into a closer relationship with God. It bore fruit. They were changed. They were transformed to be more like Christ himself, to be more of what God saved us to be. That good fruit that it brought forth, some was 100, some was 60, some with 30, but that's not the main point of this. It's which soil grew any fruit at all. And so you might say, I don't have as much fruit as somebody else. Brother, sister, if you've got fruit, you've got good soil. And we can rejoice in that. We can rejoice in that. What do we take away? What do we take away from this? Well, let's look at verse 24 before we jump into our points of application. Actually, verse 23, and it says, And he that received seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, and also beareth fruit, and bringing forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Jesus giving us the answers of it. Verse number nine says, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. This is what he means by a parable. Some of you will get it and some of you won't. This will make sense to those of you that are spiritually discerning, that are awake, that want to hear, that want to get something out of it. And for those that just say, what is he talking about seed? What is he talking about thorns in the ground? I thought this guy was going to tell us about the Lord. what's going on? Those that didn't have the commitment to hear what God said missed out on it. What does Jesus want us to do with this parable? Well, we're not really told what the good soil was, but we are told what the bad soil is. So here's where we can start. We can make sure that our hearts are not the bad soil. We can begin there. So first thing is to cultivate a soft heart. To cultivate a soft heart. The hard-packed ground refused to receive the seed in the same way that a hardened heart refuses to hear the word of God. The hard-packed ground refused to receive the seed in the same way that a hardened heart refuses to receive the word. You say, what makes somebody's heart hard? Well, there's lots of ways that a person's heart can become hard. One of them is bitterness. When you are bitter... Your heart becomes hardened. It's hard for you to receive anything. You ever been bitter at someone? I have. Do you know how much preaching and help you can get from a person that you're bitter against? Not very much. I was bitter at my pastor down in Tennessee. I got a chance to know him closer and closer, more so than most people. And you know what I found out? He was human. I was terribly disappointed. I thought he was the Superman, and I allowed my own flesh and the enemy to make me bitter against him, and any time he'd preach, I'd be like, he doesn't do that. <laughs> oh, yeah? Really? You're going to say that? And that's, that's what my mind was, and I couldn't get anything from him. It didn't help me at all, until somebody, I don't even know how he knew, but another mature man came over and just was telling me, you know, you can't be helped by somebody if you're bitter against them it's like, double take. Like, what? Get out of my head. Spiritual discernment is a wild thing. Envy, jealousy, discontentment. That's another way that your heart gets hardened. When all that you think about is what you don't have, you start to shrivel up. You know what the answer to that is? Gratitude. Gratitude. What do you have? What has God given you? What can you rejoice in? You ever been so fixated on a couple of things that were wrong that you missed all the things that were right? Isn't that terrible? I was just like that the other day, and and the Lord convicted me about it, and then he started making me list all of the good things about this situation. Here I am upset about the one bad thing, but would I trade that to be right if I lost all the stuff that already was right? And I'm like, no, definitely not. Definitely not. That's another way that our heart becomes hard Doubt can harden your heart and make you unable to receive the word Doubt can do that because you're wondering is this even true? Is this even true? Is this just his opinion and can I even trust the bible? Can I trust the word of god friends? You've got to get your questions answered That doubt will eat you up I understand that every once in a while we have moments where we say I do not understand what god is doing And it can lead us down this spiraling rabbit hole in our head where we start to break it all apart and we end up there in our own mind thinking, I wonder if any of it's true. And then we remind ourselves what we do know to be true. And we can find ourselves standing on solid ground of faith again. By the way, if any of you either have questions about whether you can trust the Word of God or are having difficulty sleeping at night, call me and I can help you with both problems because either you'll get your answers or you'll fall asleep listening to me because I get excited talking about that. And I get nerdy on the details. Here's, here's the end of the spoiler alert. The word of God is reliable. The word of God is reliable. It passes every test of historicity that anyone could level against it. The only, the historians believe that the Bible is accurate and it's historical narratives. The only people that don't believe it are those people that either hate God or don't believe that the Word of God is the Word of God, and they want it to be less than, and so they come up with all sorts of silly reasons not to believe it. It more than holds water. I'll stop there before you get a second sermon for free. Ask God to soften your heart. Ask God to soften your heart, to show you the things that are there that really ought not be there, the things that are keeping you from getting everything that he wants you to have. Second of all, we need to commit ourselves deeply to Christ. We need to commit ourselves deeply to Christ. Just like shallow ground that leaves no room for a root to form will eventually be the death of that plant once it runs into hardship, you and I, if we only have a shallow commitment to Christ, will eventually end up not producing fruit because we have no root to bear the hardships of life, the persecutions, the disappointments. A shallow passing commitment to Jesus is not going to withstand the attacks of our enemy. And we do have an enemy. We have an enemy in ourselves. You ever heard the phrase that I'm my own worst enemy? That's the saboteur that even those that know Christ still have in their flesh that draws them towards doing wrong. We have an enemy in this world, this world system, this whole way of thinking and living Their motivations and goals and desires where they leave God completely out of it it becomes very selfish and very wicked very quickly and then you have the enemy himself, the adversary the devil, who would love for nothing else and to keep you in a fruitless life where the word of God never helps you, either to know Christ or to grow to become like Christ decide now that you will follow wherever Jesus Christ leads you, and through whatever he leads you. I, I have seen things that make me shake my head and wonder why God lets people go through it. I really do. I, I mean, be honest. Have you ever seen anything like that? you ever seen anything? I've seen some things like that. Those are the moments when your commitment to Christ matters the most. Those are the moments when your commitment to Christ matters the most. I was, I was just thinking um, this morning. About Brother Marion. Who we're praying for. We are praying for. Here's a man who's devoted his life to the ministry. Whether it was evangelism. Or pastoring. And he has, he has been faithful. He, he has a whole troop of wonderful people. That he has impacted. His family. Wonderful folks. Loves the Lord. And here he is with cancer in his bone marrow. Here he is. Uh, on treatments not because he's going to get better but because it might give him a little more time and it makes him feel rot. and you say to yourself in that moment here is a man who did as good as you could ask from somebody who was a servant of god who committed himself and you say why why would that happen the answer is very simple unfortunately doesn't make it any easier to take the answer is in this broken world and it is a broken world broken things happen When sin cursed this world and ruined it, when sin polluted the bloodstream of mankind, this world became a broken place. And when you're in a broken place, broken things happen. It's a part of it. It's it's not God being merciless. It's not God being mean or evil. It's, It's just a part of it. It's a part of what happens when we live in this world. But when you're in the middle of that, what I just said doesn't give you any comfort. Right? imagine you go to a bad neighborhood for something maybe for work you go to a bad neighborhood and while you're in there somebody breaks into your car steals your your stuff out of your car you come back out you find that you say pastor you're not going to believe what happened somebody broke into my car well where were you oh that's why in that neighborhood those things happen and you're like well thanks that doesn't make me feel any better no you need something more than that don't you That's where the commitment to Christ, remembering all that he's done for you, to think of the great savior who went to the cross so that you could be with him forever. Though you and I sinned against God and we were the ones who did wrong against him, he was the one who mounted the the reality's greatest rescue effort in order to save us from the punishment of sin, to save us from hell so that we might have a way back to God. This savior who on the cross showed such love and commitment and his power and his faithfulness, his compassion that never fails, that Savior deserves more than a passing commitment. And friend, if you want fruit in your life, you can't quit. You can't quit. You've got to stay strong. You've got to put that root deep and say, I do not understand why this is going on, but I do know who my God is. I do not understand why I'm allowed to go through this pain, but I do know Christ's love for me, and he's proven it over and over again. When we hear of tragedies, we oftentimes want to ask the question, why? But if we're ever going to make it through, we need to ask the question, who? Who will hold us? Who will bring us to the other side? Because even if you knew the answer to why, it wouldn't be enough comfort to bring you through. Commit yourself deeply to Christ. Lastly, set your affections on heaven and not on this world. As thorns and weeds choke out and overshadow the healthy plant, so the cares of this world and the lusts of its deceitful riches will choke out God's work in a person's heart. The weeds of this world will choke out many well-meaning Christians because they'll get wrapped up in the stuff of this world. Now, are you supposed to sell everything that you have and go live on a mountaintop and become some sort of ascetic monk? No, that's not what we're talking about. We didn't see Jesus' followers doing that. We didn't see Jesus himself doing that. He still ate and took care of what needed to be taken care of. He still lived in this world, though he was not of this world. That's not what we're talking about. But there is a way to live in this world and not be of this world. There is a way to live in this world and not be of this world, to have our eyes set somewhere else. You see, when we live for this world, it becomes very distracting. It always wants our attention. There's always more you could be doing. You ever felt like that? You should be exercising, and you should be eating differently, and you should be taking these supplements, and you should be taking these vitamins, and you should be eating this certain way, and you should be advancing your career, and you should have a side hustle, and you should get another degree, and you should expand on your house, and you should get a bigger car. You should get another car. You should put your children in more activities and give them a better education and send them to this school, and you need to buy new clothes, by the way. You're out of style, and so you need to be doing, and your hair, your hair could use an update. There's all sorts of things you need to do there, and really, you know what? They're not going to give you the raise you want. if you really want to raise you need to jump companies and so you're going to have to fill out your resume and update everything and get letters of recommendation even though you're not ready to leave you want to be ready in case you do need to leave and so you're going to start looking around on different websites and then you realize my social media profile is really sad and they're going to be looking at that when i get my my interview and so i need to start putting some pictures on there and i don't own the type of stuff i need to so let me rent it and pretend that i have it and take pictures of myself with it so that i look good so that everyone will think how amazing i am gods word has no room to work in a heart like that. But that's exactly where you and I will end up if we let ourselves. That is exactly where we will end up if we let ourselves. And the deceitfulness of riches will tell us that's the way to be happy. There's a Navy SEAL who I like to to read his books and listen to his podcast. He's retired. I like to listen to it. I find it motivating for certain things. But do you know, every time I listen to him long enough, I find this in it. A mind living only for this world and not for the world to come. And if I'm not careful, it has such good productivity and motivational faith. If I'm not careful, my mind will get pulled away from the truth of the word of God. Because all of that stuff is fading. You know that amazing body you're going to get from all of that exercise and diet and supplements you're going to take? That stuff to regrow your hair, make you look good. All those filters you're going to use to take a picture of your beautiful self, post it online. Did you know that body is a terrible investment? It's falling apart. It's devalued the moment you took it off the lot. It's true, isn't it? It seems like Come on, you young people have wondered why at some point it seems like every adult gives up on trying to dress well. (laughs) You've thought it. You know what it is? We've just decided to give up on trying to dress with the newest fashions. And so we dress with whatever looked good when we graduated high school or college, and we just stuck there. (laughs) Because eventually you realize, ah, this is going to cost me more money than it's worth. I'm not going to pour any more money into this thing. Once you realize that this world is passing away, by the way, that job that you're killing yourself for, that job that you're killing yourself for, if you leave, they'll replace you in less than a month. If you're really good, they might replace you with two people. You can wear that as a badge of honor as you collect your unemployment check. There are things that are meaningful that God wants to speak to us about but the things of this world will choke it out. We need to pull those weeds. We need to beware the deceitfulness of riches. We need to get our eyes up of off, off of all these problems and look at the one who can solve those problems and set our affections on heaven and not on this world. But other, other seed, fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Would you bow your head with me and close your eyes for just a moment? In our church, we have something that we call a time of invitation, where we invite you to act on what it is that God has spoken to you about. And that's what we desire when we gather together, when we hear the word of God, is for God to speak to us. And that's why this whole message was about being the right kind of soil to receive what it is that God has for us. Maybe you're here today, and you say, I've never heard anything from God at all. I'm not entirely sure why I'm here today. Maybe You just decided to to pop in. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe you tuned in because somebody shared this online. But you you might say, I've never heard anything from God. I don't even know who God is. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a church person. But you did mention about a Savior. You did mention about hell. And you did mention about eternal life and heaven. And you say, you've gotten my attention. I don't know where I'm headed, but I, I most certainly want to make it to heaven. If that's you this morning, you're not sure that your sins are forgiven. You're not sure that heaven's your your home when this world's over. I'd like to pray for you. I'd love you to come to Christ this morning. I'd love for you to make that decision to believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the grave and to ask him to forgive your sins and be your savior. I know that that might seem unusual. I know that might seem intimidating. But I'm praying for that. If that's you and God's working on you and you say, I I don't know where I'm headed, but God has got my attention about heaven and hell and eternity. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, would you just slip your hand up so I could pray for you? You Say, God's got my attention. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just between you and me and God, I want to pray for you. Amen. Anybody else this morning that says, God's got my attention on that and I'm just not sure where I stand. Anybody else? Then, believer, what kind of soil? Do a soil survey in your heart. What kind of soil do you have? Have you noticed a lack of fruit? Have you been bored with your Bible? Has church been a chore? Has Sunday school been something that you've avoided? Maybe there's something wrong in the soil. Maybe your hard heart because of bitterness or anger, because of unforgiveness has kept you from hearing from God and you're tired of not hearing from God. Maybe your discontentment and your jealousy over the things that you don't have or just anger at how something didn't work out has kept God silent from you and you want to hear from him again. You, you want to have fruit in your life again. But you know that your, your heart is hard. I want to pray for you. Is there anybody like that this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed? Amen. Amen. My heart is hard. God, soften it. Anybody else like that this morning? Just slip up your hand and write back down. I want to pray for you. Thank you. Friends, are you ready to stand for Christ even when it's hard? Have you found yourself at work or at school or among friends, classes, even in the, in the home? where you know you ought to be standing for what's right, but it's just so much easier to cave. It's just so much easier to go with the flow. It's so much easier to to just watch with them and go with them and drink with them and smoke with them and and to party how they party or to cut the corners or to make the extra money. To just do what it is, to just tell a little lie, a little bit of deception. And you say, God has gotten a hold of me. That's choking. That's, I have no root in me and I need a root. I have no endurance, but I need it. I want to pray for you. Is there anybody like that that would just slip your hand up right back down, just between you and me and God? Amen. Amen. Say, I'm tired of going with the flow. I need to stand for the Lord. Lord, give me root to to endure it. And then finally, friend, maybe, maybe things have been choking out God's word in your life. Something that should be small has become big and something that shouldn't get much of your time has taken much of your time and something that is definitely secondary is now taking all of the richness that your life has to offer maybe it's work maybe it's studies maybe it's trying to earn the approval of others maybe it's a good thing but it's not the best thing and you say lord help me to weed out these things that are keeping me from hearing from you Would there be any like that this morning? I'd like to pray for you as well. Amen. Amen. Lord, weed these things out that have just taken too much of a place in my heart. Father, you know each and every person who has raised their hand this morning and what it is that's going on in their hearts and minds, whether it's to salvation or to a deep commitment to you, whether it's dealing with bitterness and jealousy or worldly things. The deceitfulness of riches and worry, whatever it might be, Father, may you clear the soil and make it good ground, work in the hearts of your children, and draw those who don't know you into a relationship with Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing, shall we?